Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along with me, I'd like you to turn in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Today we're going to look at just a couple of the first verses of chapter 2. And the reason we're doing that is because I'm putting together what I'm sensing in this 11-verse section, a title called How to Get Along Better with Others. Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but it's interesting if I would ask you, how many of you right now are living in a world that there is some disunity going on? Maybe it's between husband and wife. Maybe it's with the family. Maybe it's with some extended family members. How about where you work or in your business or maybe even beyond that a little bit? It could be in some team that you're in or at school, someplace, where that you're experiencing some disunity. And if you're like me, when you know that people aren't seeming to get along as well as you'd like them to, that it really disheartens you and you kind of wish everyone could kind of get on the same page or at least focus more on the majors and not so much on the minors. And when that case happens... A lot of that is what I call a surface problem. Yes, there's some disunity out there, but often that's a surface cause rather than a root cause. And if we dug a little bit deeper and we poked into this, most of the time you're going to find that the root issue is that there's not so much the broken relationship with others as their tendency becomes a broken relationship with the Lord by one or both parties. So somewhere along the line there could have a wobbling in their relationship with God, and that would be the root issue. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. But I'm sure that if you've been in a ministry or a team or a class or a job where that everybody is working well together, my, how that brings you happiness. A number of years ago, I was uh, following the uh, Los Angeles, I guess back then it was the Anaheim Angels. They're kind of changing some of those names. But do you remember when they won the World Series? And as they were talking to the manager at the end of the series when they won it, they were talking about how that this team did not have the best players on the team like other Major League Baseball teams had. But they were wondering, how can you, with the guys that didn't have quite the same horsepower, do so well in the World Series? And here was his simple answer, but it was so profound because it follows truth, and that's this. They said, even though they didn't have the strongest talent, they had the ability to work together as a team. And so when they came together as a team, that gave them a team spirit of tremendous talent that was able to carry us all the way through the World Series and finally win. And I think you'd sense that the same way on your job or at school or wherever you are, that when you are on the same page, you might not have a tremendous skill set or all the extra gifting, but as long as you've learned to work together, things go a lot better for you. And you'll see that. Now, as I look at the, um, the life of the Apostle Paul and what he wrote here, it's quite interesting. As he starts this section of Scripture off, he doesn't talk so much about himself. And if you recall, he's in prison. He's not talking about his health. He's not talking about so much his past or his pedigree. What he talks about here now is he's most concerned with, and that is the unity at the church at Philippi. And as I pondered on that, I started thinking that he was very much like a parent. And let me speak to you dads and moms that are out here today. I'm sure that when you hear your kids arguing in the backseat of your van, that that really bothers you. Now, the first little bit, you know that they're positioning and posturing, you know, in their little territory. 
But if it goes on, that really upsets you. And then when you start hearing them maybe take a swing at one another or scream at one another or use words that are certainly not edifying, you know you've got to pull that van over. You've got to do something to quiet them down and separate them. You know how much that bothers you. Those of you that have adult kids now, that you know that your kids are not seeming to really be working well together, and you know that that's really hurting you because there's not unity in the family, that bothers you. Some of you people that are at work right now and you know that there's some employment issues that you've got colleagues that maybe at the same time aren't showing you the respect that you should receive, even as a human being or a fellow worker. And that kind of weighs heavily on you. It makes you not even want to go into work, and that bothers you. And if you're a boss and you know that your staff isn't working well together, that hurts you. I've shared the story of a man that was on our board many years ago in another church I pastored. On Secretary's Day, he had a number of secretaries, but he could not honor the secretaries on the same day because two secretaries would not speak to one another. And so he had to take one out with the team on one day and the other out on another day just to honor them on Secretary's Day. And it was interesting because I asked him, how in the world can you really get a lot done when you have two team members not communicating with one another because they don't like one another? And he said it would made it very, very difficult for that business to go to the next level until that issue was resolved. Now, those of you know what I'm talking about, those of you that lead and you have people that are under you that are not on the same page, that bothers you. And some of you right now, I'd like to flip it. Some of the kids that are here that might be listening on radio or tape or even in this room at this very moment, you know, some of them carry the burden because they go in the family. But when mom and dad have a little disagreement, they pretty well understand that you're just voicing your opinion and you're wanting to be heard. So you're a little bit louder and a little bit more intense. And they probably can put up with that if they're a little bit older because they know that, again, is posturing and positioning and getting your point across. But if that is a frequent occasion, like it's a continual characteristic of your relationship, you might sense that your kids are able to weather that storm, but the younger they are, the less they're able to weather it. While they might not be able to discern all the issues that are being discussed or argued, I want you to know that they do sense that negative energy that's coming at them. And, of course, that is affecting them socially and perhaps spiritually and very often physically as well. And so it could work not only as we who are in leadership and we see those in fellowship that aren't getting together. It also could be those that are in fellowship that don't have those that are in leadership that are together. And so because of that, we can identify a little bit with Paul as he speaks to this church. Now, let me quickly say this. In a few moments, you're going to see that while he speaks a lot to unity, he does bring up the names of two women. And he wanted them to work a little bit better and be like-minded. Now, I'd like to say this. There are a lot of Bible scholars that will say that that means that even in this great church at Philippi, there were people in this church that really didn't get along, so the church had a problem with unity. And that's why Paul spoke so much about it, and he brought up these two women's names. It is my personal opinion that I don't believe that that was a serious problem at Philippi. I believe it was a serious problem in another church, that that church was just rampant with a lot of disunity, and it was loaded with people that should have been older in the Lord, spiritually mature, but were still baby Christians, and that's why you had that problem. In this church, I don't sense that. Here's what I sense, and it might be my opinion. I think this church was a very good church because of how much Paul absolutely commended this church and how much in this church and what it did that brought joy to him. He did mention the two women's names, and so I got thinking that that's probably a lot like a lot of healthy churches, maybe even our church, that there will be an occasion that there'll be two people that won't be on the same page with one another or even with the leadership. 
But that doesn't mean that that entire church is infected with a lot of selfishness and babyism. So what Paul was doing was what a wise leader should do. And that is that even when you would have health of good quality unity, that you don't ignore the potential or the possibility that if it goes unaddressed, that it could come back again. And so we need to then, even at this church, and as healthy as it is, that there's that need for us to speak on unity. And so for two weeks, I want to speak on that little topic. Not that I'm sensing so much disunity, but there'll always be pockets when occasionally some people might not be on the same page with one another. And we're allowed to be different. You know, I like mushrooms on my pizza. Other people like to have pepperoni on theirs. So that's minor issues, and there's going to be disagreements. But on the bigger issues, that's where the issue and challenges come. And so that's why he's speaking to this and why we need to do the very same thing, that it is critical that we speak on the topic of fostering good unity with one another in marriage, in business, in ministry, and every other way. So with that being our background, I'd like to now speak to three main topics. Today we're going to cover just the first two. Paul is so passionate about his church because he really loves his church that he is now going to express his concern for an appeal to unity. So he's going to appeal to unity, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on that. And then he's going to talk about how important it is to have the right attitude, that unity, although it's an outward sign of people communicating well with one another, it often comes from people that have the right attitude. So we'll speak to that, and then we're going to leave it alone. And next week, I'm going to be a little bit more practical. Next week, I want to give you some of the steps that are actually found in Scripture where he addresses specifically the steps of action for unity. So let's begin with the appeal to get along. And again, I do the same with you, that I want our church to be strong and unified on the main issues. And this is a relational thing. So let me read this to you in verse 1 and then the first part of verse 2. And here's what you read. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. And then he speaks to the attitude in the next verse. For right now, this is just his appeal. Now, if you will look at that phrase where it says, therefore, if there is any consolation. The reason that he put that therefore is because he's extending the exhortation from chapter 1. And here's what he's doing. He's saying this. He's saying, just because I wanted you to know that like-mindedness is important, therefore, because of that, I want to speak to it essentially again. And now he does it in a very unique way. Now look at it, if you will, as I show you these words. If you want to mark them, you can. You see the word if, it says, therefore, if, you can circle if. Then it says, if any comfort, circle if. If any fellowship, you can circle that. If any affection, you can circle that. Some of you might read your Bible and say, that's because there might not be, or there's a very little bit of this. So he says, if there happens to be somewhere in the group. In the original language, it is not said that way. It is said in the context like this. If and there is, if and there is this going on. So it's almost like sometimes you might hear some announcement be made like this. If you're here today and you have your car parked out in the, well, you are here today, not if you're here today. Where else would you be if you're not here today? Okay, so you are here today. So it's if and it's a fact. Another way to do it might be like this. Let's say that you went off to Bible college and while you were at Bible college, you came to know Christ as your Savior. And then you had a great teacher that taught you the word of God. And you were mentored by a group of guys or gals, depending on what sex you might be. And then while you were at school, you received your calling to do ministry. And you got your purpose in life. And as you're at school in Bible college, you met your life partner. And you fell in love. And you got married. And now here you are getting ready to graduate with honors. You came to know the Lord. You have Bible knowledge. You've got a good network, a wonderful wife. And you're ready to head out into ministry. 
And I saw you in the lobby the night of graduation, and I came up to you, and I said something like this. I said, if you came to this school and you didn't know the Lord and now your sins are, are forgiven. And if here at this school that you then got excited for the Lord and you surrendered to his word and became a growing Christian, if you met your life partner here and if this school meant so much to you and if you're so grateful for what has happened in your life here at this school, then you should pray often for this school and you should give your resources so we can do that to the next group. Now, I'm not here trying to get money out of you. What I'm trying to do is to use that as an illustration. If certain things happen to you, then this is what you should do. And so here's what Paul is saying. If these areas that he's going to mention here, there's five of them, four particularly, and the fifth one is subliminal. If you have had experience in this, then you should be like-minded with one another. So now the question is, as I ask you, let's pretend now we're not in Philippi. Let's be real now. We're in Nu'uanu right here at our church. And now the appeal is to you and me that we would be unified, that we would get along better with one another. And he's writing to us. And here's what he says to us. He says, if there is any consolation in Christ. So let's look at number one. So what does this um, influencing motive look like? The first one is a consolation in Christ. Actually, that word would be if you've been encouraged by Christ. So as I look over some of you that have come to know Christ as your Savior... If in your walk with God, that somewhere along the line, here through the ministry of this church, that you have grown to be encouraged by the Lord. Someone came along, shared a verse with you, helped you to either experience Christ as salvation by faith alone, or perhaps that some of you had some questions about the Bible and you needed to have some help to be able to get through the daily challenges of life. Then he's saying, if that's happened to you, then be like-minded. He says, if God has come into your life, and he's encouraged you through Christ. He said, be like-minded. So how many of you have been consoled by Christ at a time in your life when you were lonely? Or perhaps maybe at a time when you felt rejected or you felt isolated. And someone through the word of God brought Christ to you and you were encouraged. That's a consolation in Christ. And that should be a motive for us to walk together in unity. Let's look at number two. The second time he mentioned it was a comfort of love. Now, uh, this is an interesting word, a comfort of love. It's very similar. Consolation, comfort, communion, compassion, all these are kind of all together. But he says, have you ever been comforted? A little different than console, but you've been comforted. I'm thinking of some of you that might have lost your job or you've had trouble with your kids. Did someone come alongside and they brought you the comfort of the word or the comfort of the spirit or a kind word to you? Someone really cared for you when you went through a bad time in your life and they loved you enough to bring you further along. That should help you then to say, you know, I've been comforted and other people God used to comfort me. Other people came in to encourage me. And now because they've done that for me when I wasn't having a good day, I want to reach out and comfort them. I want to be like-minded, just like they were to me, just like Christ brought them to my life. I want to come out to help them as well. That's called comfort of love. The word comfort there means to speak, speak closely to someone. Now, Let's say that you had a bad automobile accident and you're in the back of the room. Would you like me to comfort you by saying, hey, I heard you had a bad accident, but I don't want you to worry about it. Hey, just, just don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. God will take care of you. No, you want me to yell at my comfort to you. In fact, when you come into my office and you share that you've had some real tough times, I'm not going to even sit from my side of the desk and speak across a desk to you. Because I really care for you and I don't want any object to be separating you from me. I'm going to come back from around my desk and I have two chairs in front of my desk in my study. 
And I'll sit there so that I can be as close to you as I appropriately can be. So that you would sense a genuine care for you. That I'm not some guy behind a desk that's managing a church. That I'm a shepherd that feels your pain. Now, while I may be the human relation that will help touch your life, the only way that I'm going to comfort you that will mean any long-lasting comfort is when I take from the Word of God and the Spirit of God in His context to share that with you in a way that will touch you. So if you have been comforted, then we then should comfort others. Remember this phrase, hurting people hurt people. So if there's hurting people around you in your life right today, they may be creating a lot of disunity. So what do you do when you are hurting and you are comforted? You don't avoid those people. You come alongside those people and you do what you can to bring about comforting. And what you're doing is bringing the body together, becoming like-minded. You're not like-minded with their pain. You're like-minded with the king of kings. So we talk about comforting them. Here's the third phrase, communion of the spirit. It's interesting because it says here, if any fellowship of the Spirit, be like-minded. That is a very important phrase. In fact, I think that's kind of like the center of this whole teaching right here. The communion of the Spirit here. And I believe it's speaking of the communion with the Holy Spirit of God. All right, Not just my little spirit or my little DNA or my emotions. It's the Spirit of God. Yeah, I do not want to get too technical. But I want to share with you when he says, if this has happened to you, be like-minded with one another. All right, so here it is. If you've been encouraged, yeah, I've been encouraged. Someone along came, came alongside me, brought me the word. So God came alongside me, encouraged me. I was hurting, and someone came alongside and comforted me. Now when it says the communion of the relationship with the Spirit. Now, those of you that know Christ as your Savior and have embraced the tenets of the faith, you know that we are what we call Trinitarian. Trinitarian means this. It means we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It means that we believe that God is all God, Jesus is all God, and the Spirit is all God, that all three are one. But at the same time, we recognize that as we go through Scripture, that God is functioning in one fashion, Jesus is functioning in another, and the Spirit functions in another. They all have separate ministries. Now, when he talks about communion with the Spirit, here's what's happening. Just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in communion with each other. There is no disunity. God the Father is like-minded with God the Son. God the Son is like-minded with God the Spirit. When we say, who wrote the Bible? There might have been human writers of the Bible, but there's been one author. We can say God is the author, but it was the Holy Spirit who placed it in the hearts of the writers. So with all of that going on, you see that they're in communion with one another. Now stay with me. When it talks about communion with the Spirit, when I've trusted Christ as Savior, that part of the Godhead, the Spirit comes inside of me. But also Scripture says that Jesus, the hope of glory, is inside of me. And we know that we are a partaker of His divine or God's nature. So now we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in that nature living inside of us. They're in communion, they're in relationship, they're in unity with one another. That unity is inside of me right now. Now watch. If I experience communion with the Lord, in other words, I recognize He is Lord. I recognize that He loves me when I sin, but He loves me too much to leave me in sin. And I do business with that, and I'm brought closer to Him because I've surrendered. And I see Jesus as my Savior, as the one who died and rose again. But He's not only just that, He goes beyond that. He's my Lord, and I want to surrender to Him as the CEO of my life. And the Holy Spirit, I don't see Him as some wispy thing. I see Him as a person who gives me the power to live. Now, all of that, I'm communing with the Godhead inside of me. Now, stay with me. Just like the Godhead is together, the Godhead is together inside of me, and I'm together with the Godhead, all right? He says, I'm communing with Him. 
Now, I should be like-minded with you. Just because I've experienced this, and I have, then I should be like-minded in communion with you. Now, let's take it one step further. All right, I'm going to put you over here on this side. All right, I see the Trinity communing. I'm communing with, with the Trinity, all right? You're over here. And again, I talked about that if there's a broken relationship with people, it's often a broken relationship with God. If you come to a point and you realize that you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, theologically you have that together. Now you see it as you relationally see them functioning together, equal but separate, all right? Now stay with me. And He is inside of you. And you are communing with Him. Because I'm communing with the Lord, you're communing with the Lord, then we can have unity one with the other because we are connected to the Lord. Now stop. Some of you are going to say, but wait a second. You like this and I like that. And so we have a little difference right here. We're not talking about having a belief on every, like you might like blue and I like red. God doesn't care about that. We're talking about relational things. There's going to be a little bit of, a, of diversity, we might say. But on the key issues of theology, stay with me, theology we need to be agreement on. That God is all God, Jesus is all God, the Spirit is all God, the Word of God is a verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, God's mind on paper, inerrant, completely accurate, that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone. That we have to agree on 100%. The other part we have to agree on is the character dynamics. The character is that we shall not lie, that we shall tell the truth, that we shall not um, uh, lust after someone of the opposite sex or maybe even the same sex, that we have moral purity in our life, at the same time that we do not steal or covet. And so we have character things that we're on the same page. But some of this other stuff, that's just preferences that we have, and that's what makes us perhaps even more diverse to reach more people because God's using that as a way to bring us to the Lord. Now, with that being said, he's appealing to the fact that just like you have communion with the Spirit... Everybody then could have communion with the Spirit and therefore be like-minded. You're like-minded about the Trinity. You're like-minded about your relationship with Him. Now be like-minded with communion with one another. Let's go to number four. I got this illustration. It was so good. I thought maybe this might help a little bit. I want to drive this home. I guess you all know what marbles are, right? And how many of you have marbles? Okay, good. All right. Let's say I had a bag full of marbles right now. It's a plastic bag. And in this plastic bag full of marbles are marbles that I found on the side of the road or people gave to me. I kind of collect marbles. I don't know of any two marbles that are exactly the same unless they're all printed as blue marbles or yellow marbles. But when you have all the cat's eye marbles or all the different flavors and colors, you have different sizes of marbles. You have different colors of marbles. You have a variety of marbles and they're all in this bag. And now what I'm doing is I'm showing you my collection of marbles that are here. But while I'm doing that, for whatever reason, my little cheap plastic bag rips. And let's say there's a little tear at the bottom of that and it tears very quickly and my 100 marbles come out of the bottom of that bag. And what do you think is going to happen to those marbles? They're going to go everywhere. And if this was a concrete or tile or wood floor, they would bounce and they would go everywhere. Now, while the marbles are going in one direction, I'm saying we'll get back to that later. I pick up another bag over here and it's just full of iron shavings, filings that are in here. Just, it looks all gray. It looks like dust in there. And this time what I do is I take this little bag and I tear it open and I put it on the top of the pulpit. But all of a sudden, the wind comes along, or Pastor Dennis wants to get frisky, and he blows it. And all those little filings go everywhere, and all these marbles go everywhere. All right? It will take us how long to grab each marble, look for the marbles, put them back, keep them in the bag. But if I had a magnet, and those shavings are all around the front here, and they've blown all over the chairs... How much faster it would be if I took the magnet and I began to pull them all back together again and shave, uh, 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 um, 
shake them off into the bag. I cannot do that with the marbles. Here's what we're saying. The, the, the governor, the glue that holds relationships together, the Rosetta Stone, we might say, is none other than the Godhead. And now in this case, we're saying the Spirit of God that brings us together. There will be times, possibly, that that shaving might fall aside. What brings us back together again is the Holy Spirit. Now stay with me. The Holy Spirit, though, will not operate opposite from the Word of God. So we test the Spirit by testing the Word because they're on the same page. That's going to bring us together. But there are so many people today that's not connected to the Spirit, do not put Christ first or the Word of God first, and that's why they're like marbles. They're everywhere. And so I wonder sometimes how many people, churches, have lost their marbles. But anyway, I just had to say that. Okay, just had to say that. Let's get back to this. So the point is, the Holy Spirit is at the center of this. Now let's go to number four, compassion. It's interesting because you have consolation, you have comfort, you have communion. They're so close, and yet I'm working hard to kind of show you the distinctions, but sometimes I can overwork the passage and give you too many distinctions, and they're really not. How many of you have ever played softball or baseball? Would you raise your hand? Okay, you have first base, second base, third base, home plate. Now, first base is different than second base. Second base is different than third base, but each one of those bases look the same, but they're just separated. But each one of those bases are different, but they're still all part of the same game of baseball. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.